This Sunday, people everywhere will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The entire act of Calvary is one of the most recognizable prophecies in Scripture when Jesus purchased our plan of salvation. Which is why we will discuss this unsurpassed act of love from a prophetic perspective on this edition of End of the Age. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. Today, we'll probably, well, we'll talk about probably my most favorite topic in Scripture. One of the, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Of course, the second coming of Jesus Christ is right up there with it. I mean, those are the most, the two most important events in Scripture. Jesus came the first time to purchase a plan of salvation so that when He came back the second time, we could go to be with Him. And so, this, like I said, this coming Sunday, people all over America and other parts of the world, missionaries, different people, will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. Every day I will thank the Lord for the act of Calvary. But I wanted to come at it from a prophetic perspective today. This is End Time Ministries, right? And so, end of the age. So I'm going to be talking about some prophecies, some messianic prophecies, leading up to the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and how it applies to you and me today. You know, prophecies foretold that Jesus would suffer. Jesus basically came to die. That's why He came. I taught this a Bible study in Manhattan um, several years ago. And I said that Jesus came to die. And there were people that questioned that. Oh, no. Jesus came to do this and that. And, you know, He came to teach. Well, He did do all of that. But the ultimate reason Jesus came to die is because we did not have a plan of salvation. The Bible says no flesh was justified by the blood of bulls and goats. And those plans of salvation in those dispensations were stopgap measures to get us to Christ. The Bible says the law was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ when a spotless lamb, a human being that had never sinned, was put to death, breaking the law of sin and death. So you say, wow, that's pretty, pretty weighty. Yeah, it is, until you understand it and understand how awesome and wonderful this plan of salvation really is. So Jesus came to die for you and me. The Bible says that it was prophesied that He would bear our sins. Isaiah 53, 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. These are messianic prophecies that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would fulfill. And then the New Testament records that at the time of His crucifixion, of course, Jesus was smitten, fulfilling the prophecies. A crown of thorns was placed on His head, and He was beaten with many stripes. Jesus was fulfilling every single messianic prophecy, proving without a shadow of doubt that He was, in fact, the Messiah. And of course, the Messiah would be killed for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, of course, as Jesus was dying on the cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's Luke uh, 23, 24. So we see that while Jesus was dying, He was making intercession for those who were crucifying Him. He was looking at the Roman soldiers. And it was also prophesied that He would be killed by crucifixion. Psalm 22.16 For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Well, this amazingly accurate prophecy by King David was fulfilled when the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. He was given, uh, the Bible says that he would be given vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. John 19, 29 says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And then, of course, Messiah would be cut off. The book of Daniel In uh, Daniel 9, verse 25 and 26, says, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. It's prophesying the death of the Messiah, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be without a flood, and and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. The prophecy specifically states that Messiah would be cut off, and Jesus' crucifixion certainly fulfilled that prophecy, right? And also that they would cast his garments, 
They, they would cast lots for his garments. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Well, Mark fifteen twenty four, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Now, these are messianic prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, foretelling the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them. And when we get back from the break, we'll get off into detail about his crucifixion and the resurrection, which we should be celebrating every single day. Right now, there are tens of thousands of Jewish immigrants stranded in Ukraine as Russia invades city after city with no regard for human life. 3,000 Jews are ready to return to Israel today. The need for evacuation, shelter, flights, and emergency housing, nearly $10 million. The Jews in Ukraine need your help. If half of you gave just $250 toward this need, it would be met in full today. Please consider giving to help Jews safely escape Ukraine. To give or learn more, go to endtime.com slash Ukraine or call 800-END-TIME. That's endtime.com slash Ukraine or 800-363-8463. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. And now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and end of the age plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the end time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you. Isn't it exciting that Jesus Christ fulfilled every single prophecy, every single messianic prophecy. There was not one that was left out. So nobody could question that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah. If they were following this and they were sincere. Now there are people that actually, they teach or question that this event even happened and others that denied Jesus was God or that He was crucified. But the fact is, is that if you have a sincere heart and you understand the Bible and you know history and you know what happened about all this, and you've been to, especially if you've been to Israel, that's another thing. We're going to be going to Israel in September. From Saturday until today, we've got 22 people going with us We're only going to take 48. 
and we're going to take one bus. Me and my wife will be on the bus the entire time, every day, going to every site and talking about it. It's going to be awesome. We've got the guides, everything set up, ready to go. If you'd like to go with us, call 1-800-END-TIME, 1-800-363-8463, or go to endtime.com and go to the events tab down to tours to sign up. It's happening very quick. I told my wife, I said, man, we're going to be full by the end of the week if we keep going like this. And so if you'd like to go with us, we'd love to have you. It's it's, uh, towards the end of September. The dates are on the website, or you can ask my wife, Jana, about it. But once you go to Israel and you see all these different places, you know this happened. This is historic. It's historic, it's prophetic, it's biblical. It happened. And, but, and you need to understand this stuff because this is our plan of salvation, the Messiah coming, dying, being buried, ro- and raising again, being resurrected, that He purchased our current plan of salvation. And so you need to understand all these things. What the prophecies getting him here, his the birth, the life, the teaching, and the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the absolute most important human being by far that ever lived. He was God manifest in the flesh, coming to die for the sins of you and me, so his blood would cover us, and we could go to be with him for eternity. Another prophecy about his coming. None of his bones would be broken. Uh, Psalm 3420. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Well, John 19, uh, 32 through 33. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first. What would happen is when they would crucify somebody, they would hang there and they would just hang for a very long period of time, many times to push them over the brink to death the soldiers would break their legs with a, a, a staff and that, that shock, the jolt of having their legs broken would push them over the edge and they would pass. Well, this is what happened. They came to the, the soldiers came because there were Jesus and there were two thieves, one on either side, and they break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already, and they did not break his legs. Also, uh, the Bible says he would make his grave. These Old Testament prophecies that he would make his grave with the wicked and the rich. Uh, Isaiah 53, 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit, in his mouth. Uh, Matthew 27, 57 through 60. It says, When the even was come, there came a rich... Now, this is just after his crucifixion. There came a rich man from of uh, Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body... He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb. We'll go there in September where they believe could possibly be the site um, of the the tomb just near where Golgotha is, possibly where he could have been crucified and then laid in this tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. 
And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. So you can see all these messianic prophecies. There are many of them. This is only a handful. There are, uh, I know, um, close to a hundred specific messianic prophecies that are totally undeniable. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them. There, I think there may be just a little over, uh, uh, more than a hundred. And, but some of the main ones are the ones we quote in our magazines and different things. Just undeniable. Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Messiah. And then, because Jesus Christ was actually crucified on Wednesday and not Friday, we'll talk about that in a minute. I know there's Good Friday, the traditional Good Friday, but I wanted to do this today because Jesus was actually crucified on Wednesday. And again, we celebrate every day. But when we talk about the crucifixion, I wanted to set the stage for you of what was to come that afternoon. In Luke 23, Jesus is handed over to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman governor. In verse 20, Luke 23, 20, the Bible says, Pilate therefore, washing, wishing to release Jesus and called out to them and said, um, but the Bible says, but they shouted and saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has this man done? I have found no reason for death in him. And I will therefore chastise him and then I'm going to let him go. But the crowd was insistent. Have you ever been in a crowd where they were chanting and screaming and hollering? I remember being at the Vatican years ago when the Pope drove by and people were just about to push me over the barricade trying to get to him. They were worshiping him and holding their babies out and saying, Papa, Papa. The thronging crowd. I've been there. That's the way this crowd was this day. The Bible says, but they were insistent demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priest prevailed. Supposedly the religious sect of the day, right? They were right there in the crowd with them. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them Barabbas, the one that they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to the crowd. Now, what a travesty. Listen at this, folks. Jesus, in his entire life, had never sinned. He had never said a cross word to anybody. He had never done anything he shouldn't have done. He was a very peaceful man. He loved people. He raised people from the dead. He healed people and yet had mercy upon people, but yet they crucified Him. Now, I want to interject here, because there's a huge tradition. I'm not going to go through my normal, very long uh, definition of all of this and and explanation, but Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, not Friday. John 19.31 It says, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation 
that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Remember, a high day. So Jesus was crucified on preparation day or Wednesday, the day before the Sabbath. Now, you say, well, it's got to be Friday then because the Sabbath is Saturday. But you, got to, you, you need to remember, during that week, there are two Sabbaths. During the Jewish Passover, the day of the Passover is a special Sabbath called an high day, which results in two Sabbaths occurring in the same week. The first Sabbath started on Wednesday evening. The second Sabbath was the regular Sabbath, which occurred on Saturday. Jesus was crucified and buried on Wednesday before the first Sabbath began, and He rose early on Sunday morning. He was in the grave Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, Mark 16, 9 says, Now when Jesus was risen Early, the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he he had cast seven devils. So the Jewish day begins in the evening. Jesus was buried just before Thursday began. And he, he was in the grave Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He rose from the dead before sunrise Sunday morning the first day of the week. It all fits perfectly once you understand this. You say, well, man, you know, Dave, I've always been wondering how he could be crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday, and they say that's three days and three nights. That's because he was not crucified on Friday. That's a traditional teaching that's been taught for years and years and years and years. And the source of confusion really stems from the Scriptures stating that the, the... that the day after crucifixion, his crucifixion was the Sabbath. People don't realize that many times during these special feast days, the Jewish people have two Sabbaths in one week. It's very important. When these special Sabbaths occur, again, they're called high days. And that's what occurred during the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Passover was on Thursday uh, that week, and the Passover is always a special Sabbath or a high day. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Remember um, John 19, 31, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might not be broken, that that they might be taken away. So, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this today instead of Friday, because we want to teach the truth, right? You want to know the truth. We want to teach the truth. And you say, but that doesn't go along with the holiday. I'm not really so interested in the holiday as I am teaching the truth. And because you might be having a conversation with somebody at some point and say, well, he was, you know, maybe maybe somebody you're uh, trying to convert or talk to about the Bible and they say, well, that doesn't make sense. He wasn't crucified. on. I mean, uh, the Bible says he'll be in the ground three days and three nights and... You're saying he was crucified on Friday and then raised, raised on Sunday? How does that work? And then what are you going to say? Well, now you've got the answer. Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. So now, 
Let's jump back into the story of the crucifixion from Luke chapter 23. I want to jump in back at about, man, probably 26, verse 26. The Bible says, remember, Jesus had been given to the crowd. The Bible says now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon uh, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and it was upon him that they laid the cross of Jesus that he might bear it for Jesus. Because Jesus had been scourged, he was bloody, he was just a horrible mess, could hardly breathe, he was wore out, and then they laid this big cross on him Well, they made Simon carry it. And the Bible says, And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. He had healed many of these people. He had done miracles for their families. And now they're seeing the one that they knew was the Messiah being put to death. The mother of Mary was among them. But the Bible says, But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breast which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall upon us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, that will be done in the dry. He was prophesying about things that would happen in the future. Because he knew where he was going. There were also two others, criminals, led by him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And then Jesus said, this is when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, imagine yourself being crucified with criminals on both sides by the side of the road where people could walk by and mock you and throw things at you and make fun of you and the soldiers are just being rough and they're driving the nails in the hands and his feet and just a horrible, humiliating situation. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He did not treat them like they deserve to be treated. He treated them as if he loved them because he did love them. Jesus came to die even for the Roman soldiers that crucified him. He loved them. That is a true Christian. That's being Christ-like, just like Jesus Christ. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end-time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
When you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99, you can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. You know, when you think about Jesus, to say that you're a Christian or Christ-like or wanting to have the attributes and the characteristics and be Jesus to other people so they can see Jesus' light uh, shine through you. And when you think about how He treated people, He didn't treat people like they deserve to be treated. He treated them like he, he truly loved them. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than a man would lay down his life for his friends. That was Jesus. He loved them. He did not deserve to die. And he knew that. But he came to die in our stead so he could break the law of sin and death and we could go to be with him for eternity. And again, he died for Pilate. He died for King Herod. He died for the Roman soldiers. He died for the Pharisees and Sadducees, even though He rebuked them. He loved them. He didn't love their ways and He didn't love their spirit, but He still loved the people. And what a Savior He was and is even today. He loves you and He will not treat you like you deserve to be treated. You say, well, Dave... This whole plan of, salva- plan of salvation and ca- the act of Calvary and all this stuff, that all sounds wonderful, but you don't know how I live my life. I don't care how you've lived your life, and Jesus doesn't either. He loves you today. This is what will be preached in churches all over the place Sunday morning. Jesus loves you. That's why a lot of people will go to church on a resurrection morning, the celebration of that. Because they need to hear the love of God in their life. Even though they might be a complete heathen. I've been a heathen myself. But yet God loved me and said, come on Dave, I love you. I've got great things for you. So this is the act of Calvary. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them, they sneered at him saying, Hey, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. The chosen of God. Yeah, right. They were mocking him. The soldiers mocked him. They just heard him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
and yet they mocked him. And they come and offer him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Then one of the criminals said that hanged, that was hanging with him, said, yeah, right, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other one on the other side rebuked him. And he said, do you not even fear God, saying that you are under the, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? You're being hung with us. You're, on a, you're being crucified with us. And he said, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong, and yet they crucified him. Then he, said, he turned and he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today that you will be with me in paradise. Jesus did not treat him like he deserved to be treated, did he? No. Remember that in your life, in the things you've done. We've all done stuff. But God loves you anyway, and he wants to save you. Uh, Now I'm down to wipe. I think uh, verse 44, somewhere in there. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, He breathed His last breath. So when the centurion saw that what had happened, he glorified God and said, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together... To that sight, seeing what had been done, they beat their their breast and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. And the Bible says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and a just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed, and he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Well, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped him in linen, laid it in the tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been laid before. And the day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. Remember, that was on Wednesday. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee, followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Then we get into Luke 24. And this is where we rejoice. I do not rejoice in the fact that Jesus had to die for my sins. Absolutely, what a horrific, I deserve to die, not him. He had never done anything wrong. I owed the penalty of sin, the law of sin and death. When Adam and Eve sinned, we entered into the law of sin and death. And every human being after that has been under the law of sin and death. But Jesus came to break that law at Calvary. So what happens? 
He's laid in a grave, in a tomb, but now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away. I got goosebumps talking about this right now. You feel it? But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why? It was gone. I wish I had a pulpit because I could preach to y'all. And it happened. And as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Listen, I've been to that tomb many times. And there's nothing in there. Nothing. The stone's not even there. And I can see the picture here with these women looking at these two angels saying, Holy macaroni. (laughs) Because they said, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? And they're like, Hold on, we just saw him crucified. We saw him brought here and buried. And these two guys are telling us, why are you seeking the living among the dead? That, that's, what kind of question is that? They said, he is not here, but he is risen from the dead. This is our promise, folks. If you believe he rose from the dead, then you can believe you can raise at some point in the near future. When that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. If you can believe and obey the first experience, you will be with Him in the second experience. The Bible says, remember how He spoke to you. That when He was still in Galilee saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned to the tomb, and um, they, they returned from the tomb, I'm sorry, and they told him all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like uh, idle tales. Yeah, right. We saw him crucified, and they didn't believe him. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus... Now, I could go into a lot more detail than this. You guys know that. But for the sake of time, I won't... Because I want to tell you how this applies to you and me. But after his resurrection, Jesus wanted to prove that he, in fact, was alive, that it wasn't a lie, that it wasn't a tale by the Roman soldiers, that, uh, that they hadn't taken his body and, and just desecrated it. No. After his resurrection, Jesus was alive. He's in his immortal body, the same body that we will have at the time of the resurrection. Uh, or the, I should say the rapture, second coming, the resurrection. Jesus appears to many different people for a period of 40 days. At one point, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does this mean for you and me? Because if I can't bring these words in the Bible that were written 2,000 years ago to now, 
and apply it to my life, it does me no good, right? I mean, even though I knew the story and believed it, if I don't know how to apply the act of Calvary to my life, what's the point? So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the birth, the life, the ministry, the teachings, the, and the death of Jesus Christ, written from four different perspectives. Now, most would agree that all of the miracles, the teachings, the supernatural events that Jesus performed, nothing compares to His crucifixion, the events that surrounded it, and the resurrection. It it, it is the very reason that Jesus came to the earth. Without that one event, no human could be saved. You say, well, whoa, 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 hold up, Dave. What about the tabernacle plan that Moses gave? What about all the sacrifices? What about the temple where all the sacrifices and the, the priests would wash and they would go into the holy place and then the holy of holies? The sins were all rolled forward in the Old Testament to Calvary. The law was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. Uh, Hebrews tells us that no flesh was justified by the blood of bulls and goats. Those were stopgap measures until a spotless lamb, a spotless human being, could come and be sacrificed. Then all those sins were atoned for, and we don't have to sacrifice an an animal today. We look back to Calvary for the ultimate sacrifice. God robed Himself in flesh and came and died for each of us. And He had never sinned, not one time. But yet, the princes of this world crucified Him anyway. The Bible says if the princes of this world would have known, truly known who he really was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They made the worst mistake and they defeated themselves when they did it. So the crucifixion is the restoration of sonship. At Adam and Eve, sonship was lost. That was lost in Adam and Eve when they sinned all the way back in the garden. They lost their sonship. And originally, Adam and Eve were sons of God, according to Luke 3.8. The Bible says, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. However, once they sinned, they were no more human sons of God. There were no more human sons of God mentioned in the Old Testament. Jesus came to restore sonship to the human race. How? Well, that's how the act of Calvary applies to you and me. Even today, even 2,000 years later, it was the ultimate act of love when a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ came and died for you and me, sinners. I didn't say for a select group of sinners. It was for every sinner. doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. When Adam and Eve sinned, the human race came under what's called the law of sin and death. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Well, as a result, blood had to be shed for the atonement for sin from the beginning. The first thing God did was to kill an animal to clothe Adam and Eve and to cover their nakedness, right? Blood had to be shed. Since that time, blood has always been involved in the progressive plans of salvation. However, animal sacrifices were not sufficient. They were stopgap measures. Hebrews 10.4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, everyone's sins in the Old Testament, again, were rolled forward to Calvary. They, the ones that obeyed those plans of salvation during those dispensations. If you obeyed, your sins were rolled forward to Calvary and, and forgiven. God knew that a sinless human being would have to die so that He could break the law of sin and death that hung over the human race. That is why He devised a plan to robe Himself in flesh and die on the cross. Isaiah 59.16 states, And He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no man, uh, there was no um, intercessor. And therefore his arm brought forth salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Jesus knew that he would have to come and die, and because all men are born in sin. That is why the cross is so special to us. The God of all creation was born of a virgin, lived a fully human life, and then died a horrific death just to purchase the New Testament plan of salvation called being born again. Jesus was born to die. And in doing this, He made it possible for us to become sons of God. Sonship was restored once you're born again. Just like Adam and Eve, they lost it, but by one man's death, Jesus Christ, it was restored. Romans uh, 5.19 says that, For as by one man's disobedience were many made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Sin entered into the world by the first Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, made it possible for us to live a sinless life in the eyes of God. The Bible says, Blessed is the man to whom uh, the Lord imputeth not their sins. So how does that work? Once you're born again, you're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, 
All of humanity looks back to Calvary for salvation and the forgiveness of sins without the shedding of a physical sacrifice because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. All of this was made possible by one event, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, or the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, is it important to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Here it is. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to, uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the promise, the hope that we have, but you have to believe. And it, you have to believe in the act of Calvary the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, but you also have to obey that by being born again. And you say, well, what's what's my reward? Well, you'll be an overcomer. You'll be a saint. I talked about it the other day, the bride of Christ, the church. You will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you go to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. Um, Revelation 13, 5. It says... He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Overcome. Um, 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Born of God. What does that mean? Whoever's born again. The born again plan of salvation Jesus purchased on Calvary told Nicodemus, except a man's born again, can enter or see the kingdom of God. So 1 John 5 says, For what, um, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. But, of course, we know it's more than just belief. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. The, the devils believe in one God and tremble. So it's, it is belief. The Bible says, He that cometh to God must first believe. If you don't believe in all of this, we need to have a whole other conversation. We need to validate the Bible. And this is what prophecy does. Build your faith in the Word of God. But what we're really trying to get you to do is to prepare you for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We want to explain to you these things. The, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we overcome the world and get our name in the Lamb's Book of Life? To be a partaker of all these promises. Be born again. In Ezekiel 13, 4, the Bible introduces us to a thing called the law of sin and death. A lot of people have never even heard of that. It says, Behold, uh, behold, all souls are mine, 
as the soul of the Father, so also is the Son, the soul of the Son mine, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Wow, say that fast ten times. You need to understand the law of sin and death, and it is simply this. The soul that sins, it has to die. If you have sinned, you're sentenced to die. It's the law that is ruled over the human race from the beginning of humanity when they ate the forbidden fruit and disobeyed until Calvary. It ruled from the time Adam and Eve right up to the time that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That's why the act of Calvary, I celebrate that every day. Lord, thank you for the act of Calvary. You died. You were buried. Three days later, you rose again. It's called the law of sin and death. We entered into that. So all of us have sinned, and therefore all of us owed the penalty of sin. However, here's the good news. Jesus didn't want us to die. He wanted us to have eternal life. So He created a plan whereby we can have eternal life. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He, Jesus, also Himself likewise took part in the same. He came and robed Himself in flesh, that through death, and listen to this very closely, He might destroy him that had the power of death. Satan had the power of death. But somehow, through the death of Jesus, Satan was destroyed and also he lost the power of death. Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, does the law of sin and death apply to you and me? Not, not once you're born again. It, doesn't, it does not apply to you anymore because sin is not imputed once you are born again. Now, you've got to do the best you can serving the Lord. You can't just live all helter-skelter and, you know, and, this, and this work. The Bible says once individuals were born again in Acts 2, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking in bread and in prayers, right? They had to learn and be discipled and learn to live as Christians. It's what most of the New Testament is designed to do. Teach you how to live as a Christian post the born-again experience. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it's a new law. Jesus came to deliver us from the law of sin and death. And now it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I don't live under that law anymore. And now this promise is only for those who are born again, only to those who are in Christ Jesus. John uh, 3, 1 through 2, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you're doing except God be with him. And Jesus didn't mince any words. He said, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, it's like cold water in his face, right? Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Does he have to enter again into a, his mother's womb and, and be born? And Jesus was like, Ugh. No, verily, verily, I'm saying unto you, except a man is born of water and spirit, 
He can't enter into the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, I don't have, I've got what, two or two or three minutes here left. This is why we give this brochure away, I don't know how many, millions, for a conclusive explanation of the biblical plan of salvation being born again that Jesus Christ purchased on Calvary. Call 1-800-363-8463 and ask for the free brochure. What do you mean born again? Or go to endtime.com. In the search bar, type in, what do you mean born again? You can go there and read it. We've had, I don't know how many people, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people go there and read it. What do you mean born again? What was Jesus talking about when he said to Nicodemus, except a man is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. He didn't say except a man believes. There are many people that have believed, but there's some other things you need to do. So, except a man is born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. And then you have the promise of the second coming. And you remember, while the disciples in Acts chapter 1, while they were looking into the sky, they were given a promise that someday Jesus would return to the earth. And the Bible says, as, as, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Why stand ye gazing, men of Galilee, into the heavens? This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. It was a promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first coming, he purchased that plan of salvation called being born again, so that when he comes and that trumpet sounds, everybody that has obeyed that plan can go to be with him. You'll be a part of the bride, a part of the church, a part of the redeemed in that day. Oh, are you looking for that day? I know I am. And I'm going to try to share the gospel of the kingdom of God with as many people as I can get to listen because I want them to be redeemed and part of the bride of Christ in that last day. God bless. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.